focus, a podcast, a live podcast, where we talk about art, we talk with artists, and we highlight their art. Isn't that fun? I'm Shahar Boyaya, I'm the host today. And we are going to talk today about how to be more successful in bazaars, trade shows, and, and exhibitions out there. You know, this is live for a reason. We love participation. I love when you participate and ask your questions, you know, post your comments. So what I want you to do is really interact with me. You know, I have a, a kind of an outline of the things I want to cover around bazaars and, and festivals and things like that. But of course, if you ask me questions, I can cater more to you to the extent of my knowledge about this, right? I don't know everything about it, but I've been to many, so I think I can help you a little bit. Uh, the way you can do this is by posting a comment or uh, posting the question below the video where you see the comments. Or if you click on the video, then you can uh, do on the side. I'm going to, to get them here and I'll be able to answer for you. Is that fun or what? Actually, I'm going to, to put the, the video that I'm watching, that I'm making right now, so I can see where you put the comment. One thing I would love to know is where you're from. So if you could take a second and put a comment where you're from, uh, I have an idea of the, the market that we are reaching here, on, especially on Facebook, or if you're on YouTube, the same thing, okay? That, it really helps us and it, I can cater better the message to you. Okay, so let's talk about bazaars and trade shows. Uh, not too long ago, about maybe two years ago, uh, I was asked to write a manual to one specific industry and that's what I did. I wrote this manual that is about how to grow a business with boutiques, bazaars, and trade shows because depending on what you sell, uh, there is a different possibility or where you are in, in the business because if you're selling, even if you're selling one tiny painting and you're getting money for that, technically that's already a business, right? It, it has more to do with your attitude than anything else because if you treat everything around you just like a hobby, that's what's going to be forever, right? Even if you pay taxes for your sales, even if, no, you should pay taxes for your sales, uh, it, it still can be seen as a hobby because you don't take that serious. But if you do, then I think my message will be right on target for you. Yes, I'm, I'm an artist and I love especially fiber, but I do sculpting as well. I do have my, my work in, in some galleries, but my core business uh, until two years ago, was actually consulting. Consulting with small businesses on neuromarketing. Neuromarketing is a type of marketing that relies on your subconscious mind to predict behavior. Why? Because today most of the marketing people want to, to do is really online, it's social media and other things. But these, these are changing all the time. They change the rules. You, if you use Facebook, you are aware of that. It changes the rules all the time and you have to adapt. Well, for a marketer, that's actually a nightmare because you have to be relearning things all the time, which is for me, it wouldn't be a big issue per se, but then you have to do a lot of guessing. And when you're dealing with other people's businesses, well, that's uncomfortable, right? Because they are paying me to give them the right advice, and I'm guessing. There's a lot of testing on the other hand, and that's fine, but the guessing part didn't attract me at all. So I decided to rely on something that never changes because it has been like this for thousands and thousands of years, which is our subconscious mind. 
And that's where I focus, even when I'm talking here to you about how to, to be successful with bazaars, because much more than the way you put a, a boot or something, it's really the way you read people and you cater to what they need. It's a lot more about them than it's about you. And for us, since we, we live in a very, in a moment where we are very self-centered, uh, on, and, and it really is all across the border like that. We, we think about us a lot. It gets harder and harder to understand that if we are selling something, we are selling to somebody else that is different than us. So here's my first nugget that you should um, write down. You're not your audience. You might be the same gender, you might be the same age range, but that doesn't make you just like them. So making decisions based on what you think would work is not correct. You should be thinking about them a lot more. I want to welcome Beverly. Uh, she's, she say it's, it's Bev here from Edmonton, Jody Brown from Ontario, Canada, and Cindy from Kansas. Yes, keep telling me where you're from. I love to, to hear that. Kansas actually was, uh, I was in Kobe, Kansas a couple of times, exactly training a group of people on this, and I loved there. It was really fun. Tiny, tiny town, but it was really, really fun. Okay, so let's see, let's think about this. I'm going to try to divide before the show, during the show, and after the show. So the very first thing you need to consider is really what type of show is appropriate for what you sell. Because maybe you make handmade soap uh, or, or a craft, or maybe you make art. You need to understand that to avoid a lot of frustration, uh, if you go to a craft show and you sell art, the audience there is going to be different than the one on an art show. So most likely, you will end up getting out of the show without selling one piece. And I see this, especially on social media, all the time, people complaining, I went to that show and I didn't sell one single piece. And the very first thing that happens is that they blame themselves, they blame their art, they start doubting that what they create is beautiful or has a purpose or whatever else. What they don't consider is that they were in the wrong place for what they were selling. Because, and, and it's not only related to price. Of course, the price of a, a art to be a lot more than a craft, but that's not what impedes the purchase of the product. Uh, what's really in the way is that maybe it is not for that crowd. They are looking for something different. For example, I love to, to make needle felting pieces. I do it all the time. And I do participate in fiber festivals. I actually love going to fiber festivals. But when I go to the fiber festivals, I take pieces that are less expensive and they are easy for me to make. They're not exactly a craft because you, as you know, needle felting is, is really a type of sculpting, so it's in the art category, but it's simple pieces like owls and, and little lamps that I can not only sell for a, a, a more affordable price, let's say that way, but they're simple things. They don't take me long at all. If I take one of the bigger sculptures there or some of my wool paintings, most likely I'm not going to, to sell. Why? Well, first of all, because in a fiber festival, guess what? Most of the people are after fiber. That's what they want. They want to buy yarn and, and fiber to construct whatever they create. That's their main focus. That's where they have money saved to go and spend. They will buy other little things related to that if it empowers them. So for example, if I'm in a fiber show and I'm selling uh, blending boards or I'm selling 
loom shuttles or looms, I'm, I'm li very likely to sell my stuff because it's quite related. But when I look at the needle felt, you know, that's, a, that's an extra one that if I find it beautiful, I will buy. Uh, I'm not going to pay much for that because most of my money is already, in my, in my mind, allocated to buy the fiber or the tools that I need to empower myself to create more. So the, the finished pieces are not a main thing. So I have, uh, me as a seller, I have to be careful what I'm going to offer. That's the main reason. It's not the difference in price from the wool painting or, or, or the, the little lamp. Of course, that impacts uh, uh, as well, but not. We tend to think the price is everything and it's either too low or too high. And even though many times that's what you hear, it's not on my budget, it's too expensive for me, Understand that price, uh, uh, giving an objection on price is usually just an easy excuse because people need to go out or they're not interested in buying or whatever is the other objections that they really have, but just saying that it's too expensive or it's not on their budget or they'll think about it because of the price is just an easy way out. But we tend to take that as the truth. Oh, my pieces are too expensive for these people, which takes me to the second thing that you should write down. Never judge your audience. It's not up to you to decide if a person has or hasn't the money to buy what you, what you want. It's just not up to you. Uh, they have to figure out that. And when, when I was doing consulting, I had a lot of solopreneurs, and that was always the, the thing that I would hear. And unfortunately, in many shows that we attend or participate, I still hear this kind of thing. These people don't have money. These people don't have the money. These people don't have the money. Uh, very recently, um, we participate, we were trying, uh, Actually, National was trying to sell something she was making, and we decided to go to one of those shows that happened during Halloween. I forgot the name of that. It was a big trade show. Uh, they had a ton of vendors. Nobody was selling anything. Nobody was selling anything. So, of course, the, at first you, you, you start judging. These people don't have money. Look, they, they are all dressed up like dragons and dinosaurs. And it's easy for you, right? Because you take all the blame from you when you point to that other person out there and say they don't have the money. The fact is that we chose, and the other vendors as well, the wrong place to be. Because for that type of show, they were interested in attending with the kids to show costumes. It's you know their opportunity for Halloween to show the costumes and have fun and, and play the games that they had there, horror, horror games that they have and, and this kind of stuff. Uh, they were not there to buy since the moment one. It had nothing to do with the amount of money they had. It was just that their goal was different than yours. They were not going to go there to buy. That was the problem, right? Not, not a problem. Problem for the sellers that didn't foresee that. Of course, now I know I'm not going to do that show again anyway because it's not only the crowd for me, but it's not it's a, it's a crowd that is not there to buy, period. doesn't matter if you're buying, selling lollipops, crafts, or arts. Uh, Beverly is saying the crowd is so important. If you get that wrong, and it is, uh, if you get that wrong, it's not going to succeed no matter what you do. Okay, so don't judge your audience because people have to figure out how they're going to pay for you. If you start with the, write that down, presumptive assumption that they don't have money, that's exactly what's going to happen. Uh, because you're setting the outcome. Now, it's a lot better when you're trying to sell anything 
to work with presumptive assumption that they are going to buy. You are assuming from the moment they look at your pieces that they are going to buy. And everything you do around it will enforce that assumption. If you think they don't have money, guess what happens? It's despite if they do or not, you are assuming that they don't have the money, you're going to behave in such a way that, you know, you're not going to end up selling. This is extremely important. You see, I can tell you a lot about how to set up tables, and we are going to do that. But if you think about this, it has a lot to do with your attitude during the show. Now, in this one, I have a, a list of things that you should prepare before you go to the show. And I'm not going to read, but I'm going to glance. Define your goal with that show. Uh, it might not be selling. If you're starting out, you may just want to uh, put your work out there so people can actually see what you make. And, and that's extremely important in the beginning because in your home, in your studio, people will not get to know how fantastic you are. And yes, you can use social media a lot in order to promote that, but the, the shows can also give you a lot of other opportunities, uh, meeting the right people, rubbing shoulders with other artists. Uh, other artists will know about this gallery out there that is looking for something like you make or something else. It's, they are extremely valuable. I, I love online. I know a lot about online, but I never say no to an opportunity offline as well. Because, yeah, and you make friends and you have a nice time too. But again, depending on your attitude. So what's your goal? Is it to showcase what you do or is it to sell? Because everything you're going to display will be around that. That's a very important one. And then decide on your main message. Uh, and th this can be translated to how you dispose the pieces as well. Uh, what are you trying to tell? So I know Bev here makes a lot, a lot of garden pieces. What is she really trying to convey with those garden pieces? And when she displays that, what could be combined visually with that? You know, could be like succulents right now are all the in thing, some vases with those. So you have to have a story. Remember, not only when you create, but in everything else. Our brain is wired for a story. So if you can add that in a subliminal way, like putting vases for garden pieces, or more specifically when you're talking to people, uh, that's quite important. Um, if you can, no, not always you can, but if you can, you choose the spot for your table or booth. Okay, there are some places like corners, uh, they tend to be better than the middle of the aisle. They also usually have two faces when you can display your products, which is a lot better. Uh, even those people that they pass out out there, they're more likely to see everything that is on the corner. And sometimes they don't even go through the aisle itself. So the more you do, you're going to see uh, what works. And not everywhere you can choose, but when you can, is a good idea. Uh, I pay a lot of attention in, in shows that are annual. Uh, sometimes they have two or three buildings, right? I pay a lot of attention to where the, the door is, where people will come. I like to be right at the door. If they give me that spot, I'm happy with that. But sometimes they have one specific building that for different reasons uh, will not pull the people. Of course, next year I will request not to be there uh, because that will impact, right? Uh, you have to think about power outlets and internet because we tend to think, oh, I'm going to put a laptop there and blah, blah, blah. Well, it depends on the size of the show, of course, but most of them charge extra 
for power and for the internet. And to the point that it costs like from $100 to $1,000 just to have the power in your booth. So think ahead of time, because if you plan to display lights in some shape and form, or have lights pointing at you, or whatever is the thing, be prepared, because usually you cannot just show up with those and put on your booth, because it costs more. Uh, many times when it's a very local and, and small show, that doesn't matter, but they will accommodate, but more and more, because they are also paying for that, more and more, that's extra charge for you. Uh, the other thing is you need to know how many uh, tables uh, they are going to provide, if any. So I participate in some that they have up to three tables. I participate in others where you have to take whatever table you want to use. You need to know that ahead of time to avoid surprises, right? Because you're thinking, oh, I'm paying for this 10 by 10 space, and they are going to provide everything. In bigger shows, they provide the, the curtains in the back, the backdrop, uh, but most of them, the small ones, very local ones, the, they don't have anything like that. So you need to know ahead of time so you can plan. The visual part is extremely important when you are in a show, so you have to have that. And, and another thing that you have to think about is, are you going to promote at all the show you're participating? Some years ago, before the recession, it was not difficult to have people anywhere. But if you, if you attend anything, even the movies today, you see that there was a huge decrease in people getting out of their homes. Uh, we kind of feel more comfortable to be, today being at home. So taking a person out of the home to go to a show is tough. And yes, whoever is putting the event together is responsible for promoting that, but you should too. You should not get into the habit that because somebody else is putting something where you're going to participate, you shouldn't be uh, promoting. They should bring everybody. It's, it doesn't work like that. It's very complicated. And plus, if you can bring some of your network to an event, they're going to hang around. They're going to talk to you. They are going to create the buzz inside the, the the space that you need to attract new people uh, because they validate what you do. If they're there talking with you, maybe having a, you know, a, a drink, a Coke with you, uh, they're validating what you do. So it can be used in your benefit a lot more than you think. It's not if they are going to buy or not, but what they do by being there. Uh, and one thing that I think is important, and I see less and less, is the very old business cards. The less Three or four shows that I've been here in town, for example, it's unbelievable how many artists didn't have one single business card. And they point, oh, you can go to my website, or people don't use that, and I heard all kinds of excuses. That is just dumb, I'm sorry. Because if I'm on a show, and there are 20 or 200 artists there, and I'm going through every single one of them, by the end of the show, my friend, I don't remember you or what you make. Uh, I'm tired, probably maybe full of bags with me. I'm not going to remember. I need some, something physical to go home, and then I'll check your website, and then I'll do whatever I need to, to do. Many times we don't buy right there and we buy later. Why? The budget may be an issue. Uh, later I remember somebody has a birthday and they like something like you make. There are many reasons why I could come back to you. But if you don't provide any bridge, how, how will that happen? So, you know, and, and business cards are not expensive. So please, print some. And please don't try to be too artistic with the business card. You already create your pieces. When you write a business card, write with fonts people can read. Unless they are 20 years old, don't put tiny, mini, minuscule 
uh, fonts out there. You know, a 12 would go really well, 12-point font there. Also, don't try fancy fonts without serif, you know, simple letters so people can read. The function of the business card is to provide a way for them to contact you. And use everything in the business card, front and back. This is real estate. It's a very small three by five uh, real estate, but it's a real estate. So have website, have all forms of contact that you accept, all of them. Put your social media as well. Social media is not for people to buy, it's just for them to see your pieces. So don't forget the phone, the email, all, all things like that, you know? And in the back is a great way for you to put some of your pictures. So the moment they get the card, they also get what you do. You see sometimes people writing on the business card. I, I usually do that as well, so I can remember later. But if you put an aid there that I can remember you instantly, fantastic. Another thing on the during the trade show. So you think, okay, what's my goal for that trade show? Let's suppose it is to create a clientele, if not right there, later. And let's suppose that show has 10,000 people walking the aisles. Well, a percentage of that, because marketing is always about percentage, will come through your booth. Let's say, let's be, be good. 30% will come and kind of stop in your booth. Right? From that 30%, maybe 10% will walk inside the booth to see what you have. From that 10%, maybe 5% will ever direct a word to you, and you will be able to create an interaction. And from that 5%, 1% will buy. That, that's kind of reality, right? Well, all the other 9,000 people, you're never going to contact them again. You don't have a way to. Right? Well, if you're thinking you're paying for a space, it doesn't matter if you're paying 10 bucks, 100, or 1,000, uh, you, you could do better, right? A simple thing, and you've seen this many times, but have you done it? Maybe you thought, oh, this is not for me. Find a way to capture their emails. Name an email, don't ask anything else. Easy way, fishbowl, you're going to draw something. Right? It can be one of your pieces, which would be really the best option, but it can be something else as well. Something nice that they would want, of course. Well, ask them, name an email. Have a, a sheet of paper where they can write or have slips of paper or ask for business cards if it's the type of show that people have business cards because people that don't work, stay at home, home moms, they don't have business cards. So then you need a piece of paper. And say at the end of the show, I'm going to draw this put there. Don't ask more because every time you ask something else, you lose 10% of the people. So if you have 50 people that were willing to put their name and email, the moment you ask for a phone, you will decrease that in 10%. If you ask for the address, you will decrease in 10%. So get the phone and email, get oh, name and email, and later you take care of the rest. But you get those names. So then, how are you monetizing the money that you have invested? Well, one, you can sell pieces. Uh, you can sell other things, too. You can, let's talk in a second about courses and things like that. But you're creating a list. And I don't care what other people tell you. I've been doing marketing for a very, very long time. And I can tell you this. If you don't control the conversation in your business, you don't have a business. If you don't control the environment in your business, you don't have a business. So the false assumption that you're on Facebook all the time or on Instagram or on Snapchat, whatever you are, and that's enough to create sales and to create a clientele, you're fooling yourself big time. You don't have any control 
over the conversation. For example, let's face here on Facebook. Uh, right now, if you have a page, nobody's seeing it, period, right? You need to create a lot of engagement for that page to show anything. Uh, if you're doing live like we are doing now, it's, it's showing to a fraction of what was showing two weeks ago, and I can prove it with numbers, okay? Why? Because Facebook is not uh, showing. Your Facebook profile, you say, no, I have my friends there, I have 300 friends, they see what I post. No, they don't. There are 20 people there are seeing your post. And Facebook says, it's your 20 best friends. Well, on my feed, my daughter doesn't show up, my cousin doesn't show up, my mother doesn't show up. Mm. I do get along with them, all of, all of them. So what is wrong here, right? There is no control. I'm playing in their sandbox. I have no say in what's going on. So if I'm running a business, I don't have a business here. Now, if you have names and emails, you may say, oh, I cannot get another email. I hate all those emails. Well, it's still one of the most reliable tools. And until we have something different and better than that, that still works. Uh, I, and, you have, and that's another thing you have to write down, that people will do business with you when they are ready to do business with you, not when you want. So that's another reason. A percentage of those people are not ready to buy in that trade show. Guess what? They might be able to buy a year from now if they remember you. And how are you going to make them remember you if you're not in front of them? And yes, not everybody uses Facebook. So even if you're relying on that, if they see you, it's not all your crowd because a large percentage doesn't use that. And you know, you have the younger they get, the less they use it. So if you, if you don't have a way to communicate with them, it's complicated. You can have a list of emails and have free services out there. Like for example, in one of the associations I help with, we use MailChimp. MailChimp allows you to, have, uh, to send messages as many as you want for up to 2,000 people without paying. Well, 2,000 is not a bad number to get started. Right, so you want to have something that you can rely, not your personal email. I'm not going to talk about that right now, but there are many reasons why not. So just trust me, get a service, and there are several that are free up to a point. Of course, nothing is totally free, but use those. You stay in front of them, and it doesn't have to be all the time. Uh, if you think your audience is really over flooded with, with messages out there, you may want to send something every 15 days or so. Just don't let it go over 30 days, because then they really tend to forget you and say, what is this? So I'm going to unsubscribe, right? So it doesn't have to be all the time. It can be once a week. It's still a very good amount. Once a week is very good. 15 is OK, too. Don't let go over 30. But do communicate, because whenever the need arises for them to get what you create, guess what? happens. Oh, I'm going to talk to Marilyn. I, she's amazing. I see her pieces, her pieces on social media, and she sends me these wonderful messages every week. Of course, the, mess, the whatever you're going to, to send has to have some value. If you're just trying to sell something, eh, not so good, because we don't like, we like to buy, we don't like to be sold too much. So you have to find the balance. Let me read here, we have people from Colorado. And what about using a small brochure with more information? Totally okay. I always think like this. I'm going to capitalize every single moment I can inside that show. So, capturing the leads, making the sales, creating contacts, distributing information, and that can be the business card, the postcards, um, 
brochures. Just have one thing into consideration. Whatever you put in that brochure has to have more than your display of pieces. It needs to tell a story somehow. Guess why? If I have a business card, it's most likely it will end up in my pocket and in my bag. It may stay there for a while, right, until I make something out of it. But I tend to keep, not I, we, tend to keep that. The brochure is, is classified as a class C type of mail, meaning that it's just like when you get your stuff in the mail, you sort and bills you put on pile A, things that you don't know exactly what they are, you put on pile B, and things that look like advertising coupons and stuff, if you don't use coupons, you throw, that's pile C. You throw away right away. They don't tend to last. They tend to be seen very fast as trash. So how do you reverse that? Well, for one, not only displaying the pieces that you, that you sell, but talking about it. So let me give you an example. One of our instructors at Curious Mondo is jo Jody Russell, right? And she uses recycled glass to create art. Well, if she were, was doing a brochure, she could talk about the importance of recycling today, the importance, how, how much glass is out there, I bet a lot, what's the damage that it does, and why that can become something beautiful again. Simple story that would have something there. Uh, if you can put some type of checklist in that brochure as well. But you can also mimic a brochure into something else. It will cost a little bit more, but it could be very useful. So, uh, example that we did. Uh, we used to, to go to a lot of networking meetings and brochures and postcards and everything else. Well, one day we decided to make a tiny magazine. It, it was really not a big magazine. The first one was this big. But instead of selling ourselves, we would put articles related to what we did and then a call to action. So content, call to action, call to content. Well, that magazine, it became a full magazine later and it, 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 we did that for, I think, four years every single month. We, so it was a lot of work and it was, uh, there was some money involved. But think about this, content call to action, content call to action, that brought me more business than anything else. Plus when we went to trade shows and or to speak, uh, to the people that would really engage with us, we would give one for free, right? Of course, because that was a promotional material, but it didn't look like a brochure. You see the difference? So instead of being pile C, became pile A. And you have to be thinking, it can be just a brochure, but you have to think, what is the value here besides advertising me? Like I said at the beginning, not about you, but uh, about them, okay? So think about this, but you have to give something to them so they can create that bridge. And you have to get something, name and email, so you can continue that conversation. Okay, let's think about the booth itself. So first comment, and I'm going to throw this on the floor just because it's bugging me a little bit. Uh, the main problem with a show is that you're there, um, especially craft show. Art shows, they're a little bit different. But uh, the crafts fair, it, it is to sell. So everybody knows you're there to sell something. So you tend to attract people that will actually go do a half moon around your booth, right? And go. And I mentioned this in another podcast. The main reason is all the obstacles you're putting in front of them. And you're creating the same story as everybody else, right? Everybody is here trying to sell you something. You want to buy, but you don't want to be sold. 
So how are we going to solve that problem? Well, one easy way of doing that, if the place allows you, because some they don't, is to not have the, the, the table right in front of you. That's a huge obstacle. Yes, all your pieces are there, huge obstacle. So for example, if you put here to the side, you create a U shape where they can actually enter. When there are no restrictions at all, what we do is put a table here on this side, put a table on this side, and a table in the back. So we have really a tour. I'm going to keep that possible client with me as long as possible. And just by providing a tour here, I do that. Right? So if there are no constraints about that, like I said, some places do have rules about that, that's how you go, because then they go here. Now, you can find different reasons for each table. I'm going to give you an example for the uh, oil industry, the essential oil industry. On this table, for example, we, not, not we, but the people we were training, uh, they would put samples, right, and educational material. On here, they would put kits that would be sold. In here, we would have paperwork, and in their case, they also needed a laptop to get information, things like that. So each table had a purpose. Now, with art, you might not have uh, a lot of need for a different story happening in each table, but you can display pieces. You can talk about the process, right? That can be extremely fascinating, especially in processes that people are not familiar with, right? I'm going to use Bev because I know she's here and I know what she makes. Uh, so she uses a product that not a lot of people know about and it's a fantastic thing because she can use fabric to put in the garden. Well, so we need to talk about that first and then show all the pieces, what they can create. Now, Bev also gives classes, right? Or she does demonstrations and things like that. Where is the postcard brochure sign that is going to tell people she gives classes? Because here, I have another way of monetizing, maybe not right now, but later. If you have classes coming up in your town, do you have flyers? And now, here, a word of advice. When you are selling, you don't talk about free. Free is a four-letter word at this moment, right? So be careful, and I've seen this so many times as well, that you're selling a piece, maybe it's a very high-ticket piece, like you're three, $4,000, you're selling that, but then you start talking about your classes or your free workshop or, well, what happens? That sale goes down the drain, bye-bye, money, bye-bye, right? You don't want that. So have that in your mind, do not mix. So. Table three, if you have table three, they did the tour, they either bought or not, then they can grab whatever they want that is free and take. Or even better, that's what I do, is, uh, well, I have the stuff on display someplace far away from what I'm selling. But when I sell something, guess what? In the bag, I put the classes upcoming, workshops, whatever, 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 all in their bag, a goodie bag for them besides what they bought. It's simple, it's inexpensive, and you get a lot of, out of it because you're promoting other things. Now, as an artist, you have to think, hey, what do I want to do? Do I just want to sell pieces? Do I want more? Do I want this to become so big, becomes a, a license at, at some point, so then I need to create that story around and have a lot of visual aid in order to convey that story, and of course, then look for the right people to help you with that. Do, do I give classes? Do I have other forms of income? coming. Well, if selling art or selling your pieces is uh, every now and then thing, that's more than fine. 
but if you want to, to be more, you have to think, what other ways can I generate income with this? I love what I do. I wish, how many times do you hear that on Facebook? I wish I could leave only doing this. Well, my friend, you make the decisions in your life. There are ways. So you may say, oh, nobody makes money making this, or there are 10,000 groups about this, so nobody's buying. Well, it all depends on how you position what you make, but you have to think, okay, what other channels of revenue can I generate? Uh, some of them, for a very good one actually, is giving courses, giving local workshops. Why not? Right? You, 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 your time, you determine the value of your time. If you have 10 students, that's times 10, and there you go. You can make a lot of money with that. Of course, online classes are another option. Uh, very quick workshops can be another option. There are other ways. You know, there are people that sell podcasts. There are people that use Patreon. Uh, also to create kind of classes that they sell. You have to think what fits your personality and how, how long you're willing to work on each one because each one needs a specific strategy. But if you do give classes, why not have posters and give to people at the end, not when you're selling. That's a huge mistake and ha it happens a lot, right? Uh, the other thing is how do you position yourself in the booth? So. Very big mistake, even if you have the table in front of you or not, is put two chairs and sit down and keep with the face that I wish this goes fast because it's a long day today, long day today, and I have to be here. That's awful. Or even worse, reading newspapers. I don't know how many shows we go where you have expensive booths and you have the guy there that is being paid for reading the paper or the book or something or looking at his phone not trying to sell anything. Why, why, don't go, do something else with your day. Uh, so don't do that. But when you're taking your stuff there, instead of taking a chair, because of course, if it's a long show, you're going to be tired, you have to sit at some point. Uh, instead of taking a chair, taking a high chair, like the one I'm sitting right now. Why is that important? Well, you're there, somebody comes to the table and starts looking. For you, to, if you're sitting on a chair like this, what do you have to do? You have to, uh, right? Let's hope you don't have a knee problem, not a back problem, blah, blah, blah. It takes a long time. If you're on a high chair like this and somebody comes, what do you do? Hey, how you doing? See, I only have this movement to make. I can make no matter what age I am. For me, I'm short. It's always harder to get back to the chair, but to get out is very easy. It's a different thing, and you're on eye level. If you're sitting on a chair, even in front of the table, what happens to you? You know, rule of the jungle. If I'm looking up, I'm the dominant person. You have to submit to me. It's a human thing comes to us from many, many years ago. So by having this position all the time when you're trying to show them and make them sell, it's terrible. You need to be on eye level. We are equal beings. I am the one that loves to create. You love the creation I'm creating. That's how we are going to carry this conversation, not from a submissive. Think about if you have dogs, you know very well, when one gets angry, what the weakest one does? They flip their bellies, right, saying, I'm here, exposed to you, ah, here, down here, right? That's how it goes, so they avoid the fight. We are kind of like that, so you have to be, to be attentive to that and have something that you can easily stand up. Now, 
with that said, you don't want to spend most of the time on the show sitting down. You should be standing, but not on the front of the, the, the thing, because that's intimidating, right? If I have somebody right there at the beginning uh, where I have the table, what happens? Nobody will come. I, I, I'm just like a, 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 those guys that stay in the front of the, the, night, the nightclubs, right? I'm here to decide. I'm in charge here. So that's extremely intimidating. Being here on the corner, not so much. Right, so then people will actually come and go inside. And of course, don't say you're interested on something. Do you like that? Tell a story. So you might say, you know, I made that piece thinking about a lion. I made that piece w w using my, my kids' t-shirts. I made that piece, I was really in a bad mood at that time, but see how the anger actually adds to the picture? Right? Tell a story. Don't go and, and don't rub shoulders right away. Let them then engage in the conversation. But start with a story. It can be something as simple as, uh, have you heard about art dolls before? Because some people think it's weird. And then they are going to laugh and then you explain. This type of dolls are not meant to play. They convey a story. They convey a sentiment. What does this one tell you? And they are going to engage with you again. So always avoid questions that, and the answer could be yes or no, because that's a dead end conversation, right? If I ask you, any, do you like that piece? I have two options. I get a yes or a no, and I don't want to get a no. So it doesn't go anywhere, right? But if you, you, you ask something like, what do you think this piece tells you? Uh, and they are going to say, and you can go on from there. So be careful with the type of, of questions that you ask. But you see, it's not intimidating. You're leading with a story, and then they'll probably engage more and more. Because you know what? We all want human connection, and we all want to talk. We just don't want to be sold and forced to make a decision. So that decision needs to be made in the process. Now, here's a tip, and I think, <clears throat> I think I'm going to ask me questions because I can talk for hours, but then it may get overwhelming. But one thing is very important. When a person is looking uh, at a piece, and maybe they already asked you the price, maybe not, but you can see they are interested, right? Or maybe they are interested in two pieces, and you keep looking, and maybe they talk to a partner. If you, if you can talk just to one person, it's a lot easier. But they are there, when they, they are analyzing, they are actually, the brain is trying to make a decision if they're going to purchase or not, especially if you already told them the, them the price. Your job is really to shut up at that moment. And that's the number one mistake people trying to sell, and that's why a lot of people hate selling, is because they need to, they, they think they need to keep pushing. So the moment they see the person is interested, they start talking, they start talking. Well, the brain, remember I told you before, the brain doesn't like to think. It runs on a very six watt battery. So the moment they're trying to make a decision, so they're thinking, and you start talking, you create noise. The moment you create noise, the brain say, you know what, I'm not going to make any decisions right now. And you lose the sale. And you know, most people, that's exactly what they do. So let me tell you a story that doesn't have to do with art, but I used this for many years, and I can tell you hundreds of thousands of dollars backed up by this exercise. When we used to have a specific office for consulting, and people would come, this is what we would do. And 
the way I, I talk about that is that we create a choreography from beginning to end, making sure we get the money at the end, because that, was, that is the purpose of a sale, to get the money. You can then create around what you do, how that could become. So they would get to the first, the first room. I had no secretaries, no receptionist, nothing. I had a place where they could, uh, we call that the star bus, the company's called Buzz Booster, and they could get chocolate and water and whatever they wanted. Then everything in that room, all the decor, had to do with us or what we do or what we like. So for example, you could have pictures since we take wildlife pictures. Uh, it could have uh, an ad sign since the marketing we do a lot has, is related to online. Uh, the magazines that were in the, in the room, they were all either our magazines or magazines that were relevant to what we were going to talk about. So either marketing or technology. No any other type of magazine. Why is that? Because I want them to start engaging in what I do. They come from the outside, like they come on a trade show, with their life, their drama, whatever is going on, right? When they come to me, I want that to shift and be about what I'm trying to sell. So we would greet them right away. They wouldn't stay there just looking, what do I do now? But the, we would ask them to wait five minutes there. No matter who they were, seasoned clients or new ones, they all would want that. I, I would always force them to be there for five minutes. Why? I want them to decompress. I want them to relax. Then they would come, they would go to another room. We had tons of pictures of our dogs there because we are animal lovers. Of course, it's a glimpse, it's a second, but the subconscious mind is gathering. These people like dogs. Then they would come to my room, which it was the green room in the sense of everything was green. And I had here on this wall, a wall full of pictures with smiling clients, all of them, okay? Uh, in the back, uh, where they, they sat facing me, so in the back, I had all the media where we, had, well, we were featured, so newspapers and stuff like that, magazines, etc. In front of my, my table had nothing but the computer, and we would talk, and I would ask questions, a lot of questions at the beginning. I would never offer anything be before I could sense what was the real reason they were there. Why? People will tell you, I'm looking for a gift for my husband, but what they are really thinking is different. That guy doesn't like anything, and I don't know what to give, and he already has two drawers of sock. I'm lost if I don't bring something good. I know he spent money with me, and I want to, uh, you know, do the same right now. Things like that. In our case was that they thought they needed social media when they actually needed positioning and something else. Well, we would talk and everything, lead with questions, 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 because then I could really sense the problem. And uh, then we would talk about how we work. So let me tell you, they usually, if you do everything right, uh, you ask them questions, you, you, you ask them what they like, if, if it's the case about callers, if they are thinking about a specific room where they're going to make their piece, they will at some point say, so how much is this piece? They will ask that. that that's a, an end for you to know you are doing things right. In case they don't, do you mind if I tell you how much this piece is? That's what we would do with the consulting. And then we would say whatever it was. Now, here's the thing, I would never mention the amount, ever. I would, in that case, I had a, a, a laptop or a computer there. I would point to the screen. We had a page with that. If it was person to person, I would 
write on a piece of paper and show. That's how big ticket items in, in negotiations, in, uh, in special meetings, they go. You usually write on a paper and you pass. You never say the amount. Uh, we don't like to hear about numbers uh, when it's related to, to, to money. Isn't that weird? But that's how we are wired. So by doing that, you are avoiding a lot of issues. And then they will look, and I, in my case, because it was a, a high ticket item, it was expensive, I would also show them ways for them to pay and say, here are the options of payment. And then I would shut up, not say a single word. Then I would actually wait until they said something. Uh, in negotiation, that means really uh, who's in charge of the negotiation. You might not like that, but it, it, it is like this. So they would come with an objection, which is normal. Can be, oh, you're more expensive than a lawyer, or, or something like that. And I said, that's a terrible comparison. <laughs> Lawyers are in the business of taking your money. I'm in the business of making you money, or however it is, right? Uh, this is not a craft. This is unique. It's made by me. There is nothing like this in the world, so it has its value. And you're really saying, despite of if you think there is or not, I know there is. I'm, I'm confident in, in what I'm selling. Well, and then 90% of the time, you would close the deal. You see, because you treated that with such a ritual around this, uh, an aura of mystery that turned everything into more valuable to them. Perception of value. If I just grab a piece and I treat like that, that's crappy. If I treat my piece like if it would break the world would end, I'm assigning a lot more value to that. Uh, you probably already heard that in Asia when somebody gives you a business card, they give you with both hands. They never give like we do here in America. Here's my card. Why? Because this is a sign of respect and value for the person receiving that and value for the information that is there. How are you treating everything that you make? You see, you have to understand that rituals and mysteries around everything that we do increase the perception of value. That's why everything has to have a, a rule around it. Even if you're the only one that knows this rule, but when you're talking, when you're manipulating, uh, it becomes clear to them. You increase, price is not an issue if you do this right. And visually, of course, if you're selling garden pieces but you have plastic flowers there, it, it's a total different uh, perception than if I have real flowers there, right? So you have to understand that. How am I treating the piece? Do I, do I, do I allow everybody to, to touch or not? Touch can be very, very important depending on what I'm buying, but I also have to work the perception of value here. So for example, with needle felted pieces in, in fiber festivals, I do allow people to touch. I don't like it because our hands have oil, right? But I allow them because they're not familiar with what uh, needle felting is. They, they don't conceive that a piece of wool can become a sculpture. So it serves a, pur a purpose for them to, to touch. But the pieces that you know, I put in shows and things I may even have there displayed, I po uh, put on higher, I don't usually put a sign don't touch, but it's quite obvious it's not supposed to be touched is the way I'm going to treat my valuable pieces here. Uh, you should think about how you can convey that as well. And if you, in some of the, the uh, shows that you do, or pieces that you do like art dolls, you really don't want people touching, right? Because that can be uh, really bad. Let me see here. 
uh, great, uh, Cindy is saying, great advice. I never seem to know what to say. Sandy Ward, I agree. It's information constipation. Sorry about that. I do have a tendency. I love this kind of stuff. And, and you know, it makes me so sad when, when people say, I wish I could be doing this, but then I, I'm stuck here. And you keep thinking, you know, some tweaks, if you're willing to change, and, you know, we are never willing to change, but we have to force ourselves to, uh, you can change your reality. And instead of you know, getting to the pattern of going to shows, not selling anything and blaming yourself for your pieces. You, you should be thinking, if I only did this one little thing here, all the results could be different. And like I told you, it's not that I, we succeed in shows every single time. Sometimes we fail. I just told you about the one on Halloween. Bad judgment on our part. We should have known better. But you know what? I learn a ton. And I learn how other people react when they are not selling. And unfortunately, the first thing is to come and bitch at you, which is fun because you're talking to somebody else there. But no purpose whatsoever, right? So, so you have to judge that, and you have to know who you're selling to. Uh, and Sydney said, can I just hire you to represent me at my booth? Man, do you know that we actually, both of us, National and I, we like to sell. And it's not... You're, you may not believe this, but it's not just because of the money. The money is good, but the, the money is the end result. The challenge is what's fascinating. We, we are both problem solvers. We like to solve problems. So when we are creating, that's what we are doing, right? If I, I'm thinking, which color should I use? Which fiber should I use? If I put this, it didn't work. If I put, it's problem solving all the time. But when we, you are selling, uh, it's that challenge to, I can do this, you know, and we know that people hate selling, and I keep thinking it's super fun. Now, it's super fun if it's a win-win situation. When it's not super fun is when you say, I'm going to get the money, period, no matter what. What we see, and we see this with consulting, with Curious Mondo, is that if we fulfill a need or we solve an issue to a person, it's a win-win situation. I am providing value, can be advice, can be a course, can be a product, and you are getting value. You're going to create beautiful things, you're going to make more money, whatever is the result. But it's a win-win. And we have that in mind all the time. Believe it or not, I'm not the person that is going to say the client is right all the time, because sometimes it's not. And sometimes when they hurt me, I can hurt back. But, but I always think if they are getting a good deal at the end. So if I think I delay and many of you have, have seen that happen. If I delay uh, shipping something because the product was not here or whatever happened, I put something extra inside. I want to make sure that our relationship is respectful from beginning to end. And since I'm delivering value, I do expect value back. The way you're going to give me value back, well, you have several ways, but one of them is money. Okay, so I don't feel a problem in selling because of that. I'm never going to take advantage of people because of money. I think relationships do come first. If we had a bad relationship, actually, uh, it can be more harmful than not getting a sale. And many times, and let me tell you, the packages for consulting, they could go $30,000 easily. And we had a waiting list. But if I felt we were not a good match, no, doesn't matter. Not, not even matter the bills I have to pay. And if you, if you don't believe, ask people around me. Because that's not how I run my life. I want to sleep at night and think I did good things. 
because I already have a ton of things to think about, things going bad. So that's why sales is fun for me, because it's a challenge. And when I get the money, I completed my challenge, but everybody won in the process. Uh, fine art shows without money listed, I don't know. <coughs> well, depending on where you are, uh, the rules are different. There are shows that you just give a paper, and at the front, they, they, they pay. Uh, the, the thing with galleries, uh, many galleries, uh, my father had one, so I know a little bit about that, is uh, because you don't want to intimidate uh, th with the price, and you're assuming everybody has the money to pay what you're selling, right? Uh, so even in stickers, sometimes you had different colors to represent different price ranges as well, besides the sticker that is sold. So that, that's common in, in, in the culture. It depends on where you are, right? If I'm in a gallery, that's the culture for galleries, that's totally fine. If I try to apply that on a craft show, a fiber show, that's not going to work because people do want to know exactly how much they will be spending before they, they buy anything. Now, with price, there's a very important thing, and then I'll read the rest of the comments, and then I'll stop talking. Uh, when you're offering something, so let's suppose the person is undecided between two or three pieces, which is quite common, right? You have this one. Uh, a common mistake, though, is they are looking at a beautiful, expensive piece. You see the eyes, so you see there is interest. The body language is crucial. And, and then you come and say, but I also have these dolls. They sell only for $50, and they go like hotcakes. Oh, they are, aren't they cute? What did you just do? You just killed the expensive item, right? And I've seen this done many, many times. So be careful with that. But let's say they are undecided amongst two pieces with different price points. What do you do when you're mentioning price? So they say, so how much are they? You always first introduce the most expensive one. And then you introduce the cheapest one. Okay, why? The moment I say, well, this piece is uh, $1,200, they go, oh my gosh, there's a lot of money. And then the second one, this one is 800 what goes into their mind is this, mm, that's kind of doable. They had a chalk, right? And then they see, this one I think I could do. It doesn't mean you're going to sell the cheapest one. You're not boycotting your sale. You're just telling the brain, you know, this is more, uh, but you can do this. Well, the moment they think they can do the other one, then you say, the reason this one is more is that it, it actually took me over 50 hours to make this, and I use this type of material, and da-da-da, and this one is done this way. So you tell the story of those pieces, and they are going to make the decision. Statistically, 25% of people that you talk to will go for the higher price. For many reasons, one of them, they feel they're more special if they go for the most expensive one. That's, that's one reason. You don't decide for them anything. You give them options, but you start with the one that is going to cause a shock, right? And then you give another option so they think they're doable, and then you explain why the other one is more expensive. Maybe it's size, I don't know, each, each, each thing is different. But you see, that you're not boycotting, and you're actually showing them that it, it is doable. Once the brain can start doing that comparison, it's easy for you to go to the most expensive one. Uh, and if you offer any type of payment, if that's the case at all, you, you should say, I have options uh, of payment. 
if, if there is any uh, thing like that. What you don't do is give more than two options at the same time. Remember the brain doesn't like to think. The moment you give too many options, so, oh, I have this two days, these are in the 1200 range, this here 500, and I have this ones here for 50. What you're really doing, not only boycotting the high ticket item, but you're also overwhelming the brain. And guess what happens if you overwhelm the brain? I'll sip my water while you think. The brain freezes. It doesn't make any decision, and you lose the sale. So you have to be extremely careful in your choreography for not doing that, because we get excited that we have a prospect in front of us, and we start making this type of mistakes. And we go to the cheapest one, and we offer the free classes, you know, and, oh, and I'm going to do a free demo in 15 minutes on stage. You can go there, and there the money flies away from you. So be careful with that. Remember this. When, if you see there, thinking about your pieces or they ask about prices, you start with the highest one, go to, to the lowest one, avoid more than two, three tops. If they did ask or they were together there for some reason, uh, three tops, but don't go over that in any shape and form. Don't inform them about other things happening. You're overwhelming the brain. You are losing the sale. Uh, what else? Sandy, not you. You are great information, constipation. Uh, if we overwhelm the customer. So an overwhelmed brain doesn't buy. With that said, there are moments that you do need to overwhelm a tiny bit. Uh, and that happens when you're leading with information first or you're selling information. So you're giving a course, a DVD, things like that. You do want to overwhelm a tiny bit, but it's not about price. Is about the information, so you're making sure they need to revisit whatever you are selling, right? Uh, so in different scenarios, but never on prices and show, you can buy this one or you can buy the red one or the green one, not the moment to do that because then you lose a sale. Uh, thank, you, De thank you, Debbie, you were so informative. Cindy, uh, would having a price list at your art booth be better than each piece marked with a price? Uh, I do want a conversation, so yes, a, a price list for me, it would work better than having price lists. I actually almost never put prices on my pieces. Uh, so why? Because if I don't have the human interaction, uh, they see the price, they don't know anything about the piece. They don't, sometimes, in my case, they don't even know the animal I have sculpted because I like to sculpt stuff from South America. I saw the tapir, baby tapir, the other day uh, in, in a show, actually a street show, windy as hell, that day, and I saw it a lot. That it was amazing, it had everything to go against it. But the, the baby tapir, suddenly a vet showed up and said, is that a baby tapir? And then we talked, but I always talk to the person. And then the price becomes irrelevant. We tend to think, I wouldn't pay $50 for this. I wouldn't pay. You're not your audience. So you need that human interaction in order to, cre to create the perception of value of what you're selling. And then the price is not a, a problem anymore. Uh, even when I, I used to do training for sales forces in Brazil, I actually traveled the whole country doing that for many types of industries. And it was known statistically that the number one complaint of any salesperson that works for a company is that the price of the company is too high. That's why they're losing sales, too high. No, they, they don't see their competitors, that's too high. 100% of the time, that was never true. 
the problem is it's an easy excuse for people to get out. So we, but we embrace as truth. No, the price is too high. The price is not too high. Think about the things that are sold out there, way overpriced. Chocolate. So you can go at any Walmart, get so chocolate for 50 cents, right? But you have some chocolates, like I like one that's called Voges Chocolates out of Chicago, a women's own company. Their bar is nine, eight, nine, nine, ten dollars each bar. Actually, her Easter bunny goes for $70 and people buy out of the was the chocolate. Why? Perception of value. Same, same stuff, right? Chocolate, chocolate. A commodity, everybody knows there's chocolate for 50 cents. She sells 10 times more expensive than that. And I could go for hours telling you of companies that do the same. So it's the perception of value of the product, not the product itself. So if you create desire around that product, price doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter the budget. And it doesn't matter if the person is on a fixed income or not. They will figure out a way to buy from you. So, you know, stop leading with excuses of what's going on with the others. Start thinking really how they behave and why they should get your pieces. You know, if you don't have anything to do one day and you're in your studio, you should go and say, why my pieces? Why? Maybe it's just polymer clay over a wire armature. There are thousands of people doing that. Why mine? And it's, the answer is not because you deserve, you do deserve but it's not because of you, it's what is the purpose of that piece? What does it bring? What does it contrib contribute to? Uh, we do this with everything. We actually have meetings where we say, why Curious Mondo? Why not the other one or the other one? Why not? And oh, yes, there are things that are different, but why will people pay me and not them? And we deconstruct that in order to to be able to say the right things when we need to say the things. And you should do the same, right? So you should be able to explain why this one is a thousand and why this one is a hundred. And you know, the process of creation, that's what we are looking at. I'm going to end with this. I said this in another podcast and you maybe you heard that. So you're going to hear again. When we are selling art, we are selling something that people actually don't need. Okay? If we are selling beans and rice and potatoes, people need to eat, they will buy. They are also commodity. I'm going to check prices, and if there is a coupon, I'm going to go for the coupon. Why? Pay full price. Totally okay with that. What we are selling is different. So I use the example of vitamins and, and medicine, right? Because you know you need to take vitamins and or every single day and C and D and magnesium and whatever, whatever. Well, you know that. But if you're out, you can wait a week. Actually, you can wait a month. Actually, last time I bought my vitamin C maybe three months ago, right? You can wait. Now, if you have a tooth pain, what are you going to do? You are immediately going to get a pain relief and then call the doctor, call the dentist. You're not going to wait. There is no budgeting. There is nothing here that is going to get in the way. And then they are going to say, oh, you know, to fill this is $1,000. And you say, okay, can I pay in three times? But I'm going to do it because I don't want the pain. When it comes to business, you need also to think, what I offer, is it a medicine or a vitamin? Because if, 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 it is, if it's a vitamin, people don't need to get it right now. So when we sell art, it's kind of a vitamin. We have no way around that. So you have to think what it brings that could be immediate. And it's satisfaction, right? It's pleasure. Uh, maybe it's the power of them gifting something very special to somebody else. 
different scenarios. But you have to have answers and suggestions around that that makes that more important than a vitamin. And then the last thing, I said the last thing already three times, is people tend to move away from pain towards pleasure. That's the good side about selling art. When I sell consulting, people are trying to get away from pain. They're not selling. They're not succeeding in business. They have an issue in the company. That's why they come to me. Very easy to sell, by the way, because if there's pain, they can get it right away, right? But in other things, it's towards pleasure. You go to a movie not to solve anything. It's because you're looking for pleasure. You go dancing for the same reason. You buy art for the same reason. So if they are already moving towards you, what you have to do is not stop them midway by being in front of the, the booth, by offering things that are not relevant and they are not going to make you money right now, right? By not getting their information and being able to carry that conversation, right? All these things. Uh, so think about that. They are already moving towards you. All you have to do is help them decide which piece they should take home. Um, would having a price whatever value yourself as an artist exactly value yourself as an artist and every single detail of what you do think about about it ahead of time how you present how you dress that, that does matter right so if you're selling pieces that are expensive please don't use a t-shirt that you won in high school that's not going to do the work so you know, treat everything with extreme respect that you make and make sure that translates because that's increasing the perception of value of what you're doing, okay? Woo, I'm tired, I hope you're tired too <laughs> because it's a lot of information, but really think about it. I hope you took some notes. Uh, I, I, I've known that this, I've known with myself and with people we have trained over the years, it works, it works every time. It really doesn't matter the, the business you're in. Uh, here we are talking about art, but it doesn't matter if you were a dentist or uh, a vet, it's all the same. People tend to think, no, I, it's different, I create art. No, my darling, it's a product that is going to be sold. So it has to have a mon monetary transaction. This is how it works. You just put what you sell in the place of a product. You see, don't, don't, don't think what you do is different because it is not. And if you think about your art uh, that you want to sell as a business, there's nothing wrong with that. I see a lot of hard feelings about selling, about talking about money. It, you know, really, even in my culture, talking about money is not something you do very often. Uh, it's not polite, but if it's a business, that conversation needs to happen, it's part of it. Or else it's not a business, you, you should be giving them away, right? Well, if you have any questions, leave in the comments. I'll, I'll keep answering them. I hope you have enjoyed. Next week, we have a very special guest here uh, that you're going to enjoy a lot. Is another artist. We are going to showcase uh, her art, actually. Oh, I'm a super fan of her, and I'm, I'm really dying to talk to her. So don't forget, next Tuesday, Curious Mondo Facebook page or Curious Mondo YouTube will be live, and I'll see you then. Thank you so much for staying here with me today.